Okay, so tonight we're in Genesis chapter 5. So we've gone through the dawn of creation where everything's good and everything's perfect. In fact, it's very good. Then we, that was chapter 1, chapter 2. We have God making, God spoke everything in existence, but he made man, he formed man out of the dust. And then in chapter 2, he brought Eve from man and brought Eve to the man. And so they were together, the two become one, and they were in a marital relationship by the definition of the scriptures in chapter 2 and 3, and by what Jesus says in the New Testament as well. And so they were together. And then chapter 3, we have Satan tripping them up in sin, where we have the fall, and we have the entry of death into every aspect of the universe, the microscopic to the telescopic, the entire universe. And in Adam, all sin and die. So we had chapter 3, and there we had the promise that the seed of the woman would bring a, a victory over the serpent, and that's the first promise prophetically of God's plan of uh, redemption and restoration through Jesus Christ is Genesis 3.15. We also had the first sacrifice where an animal was shed, its blood was shed in the garden to cover the nakedness of the sin of Adam and Eve. And so the fig leaves they sowed for themselves would not do, but God provided covering. So in the midst of that difficult chapter, two beautiful things, the promise of Messiah to come and the a type of the Messiah with the blood being shed there in chapter 3, verse 24. Then in chapter 4, we have Cain and Abel coming present themselves before the Lord, where Cain's the older brother, Abel's the younger brother, the descendants of Adam and Eve. And we know that God accepted Abel's offering. It came with faith. It came with blood. It came as a first fruits and with the fat, if you will. That's literally, it's all there in the text. And God accepted it. And God rejected Cain's that was from the ground. And yet God offered Cain a chance to make it right, but Cain refused to. He killed his brother. And then we have a whole existence of the human race coming from Cain's line. And then the back part of chapter 4, God provides a, another offspring for the promised Messiah through Adam and Eve, and it's Seth. And that's where we left off. So Seth comes on the scene. He Literally, Eve said, Seth, God has given me another seed, and it's Seth. And through Seth came the, the godly line that Jesus the Messiah would come through and all humanity that is on this planet comes through Seth as well. So we left off with that. And then Seth had his son Enosh and men began to call on the Lord. So it was, a, again, a difficult chapter, but good things happening because where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so we come to chapter five. We get genealogy that relates to Jesus Christ from Adam and we get some incredible insight to what we call the primeval world. And we're going to talk about that tonight with these amazing people, the type of lives they lived, the conditions they were in environmentally, spiritually. Uh, it's amazing. It's, we don't very often think about the primeval world, that 1,600-year period from the dawn of creation until the flood. But it's an amazing time. And tonight we're going to, we're going to reflect on that a fair bit. But first we pick it up in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. After he got Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years and he had sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years and he died. These five verses are very significant for a number of reasons, not the least of which it's a summary, again, of the first four chapters that Adam is the head of the human race. Adam and Eve are the head of the human race. We're here by design and order. God created man. 
And it's a young earth, and he made us in six literal days, and he rested on the seventh day. And on the sixth day, he formed man of the ground, and then formed Eve from the man and brought him, uh, brought her to him, which we studied a couple weeks ago. And in the likeness of God. So back in chapter 1, we read, God said, let us make man in our image. And this, again, is what separates us from the animal kingdom. We are in the image of God, our capacities that we that we have, the ability to comprehend God through creation. When we look at creation, as Romans 1 tells us, the ability to worship God, to believe God, to reject God. We're told, again, I mention this every study in Genesis so far, but Ecclesiastes 3 tells us he's put eternity in our hearts. And we understand we have this cognitive understanding of our place in the universe, our origin, our place in time, space, and matter, and the purposes and destiny to come before the Lord and to have an account before the Lord, even as Adam and Eve had an account. But we are made in his image. And that's an amazing thing to think about. Men and women were men and women were created in God's image. And we see that he blessed them. That was the main application a couple of weeks ago on Saturday night, that he blessed them. God is a blessing God, and all that he does is good. God is good. Psalm 18 says that as for God, his way is perfect, and everything that God does is good. And when we get to the end of the journey and we step into eternity, whether we declare it this side of time, space, and matter or not, when we get on the other side, we will know that everything God did in our life was good because all things work together for good to those who love God. And for those who reject him, they're going to know that everything he wanted to do would have been good. His, his ways are perfect, and, and God is good, and he has such a good plan. He's a blessing God, and we can trust him, and we can know that whatever seems to work against us is actually through faith in Jesus Christ and faith in God and his plans and his character and his nature that it's going to work together for good. The end of this universe and the creation of a new heaven and new earth Listening to K-Wave the other day with Ben Corson on and Don Stewart. They're doing a special study on the young earth and origins and heaven and all these things. And the insight that was coming forth of them on the radio at, at that timeline was just amazing. Talking about the new heaven and the new earth and what God's going to do. And it just affirmed what we've been studying and looking at for the last month. They're just really encouraging to hear that on the radio Monday. It was just amazing and just reminding me as I was driving home from down south uh, how it's all going to be made new, and it's going to be incredible because eyes not seen or ear heard those incredible things that God has for us in eternity. So it's going to get better. He's a blessing God. So all that God wants to do in our life ultimately is to bless us and conform us to the image of his son and prepare us for eternity. So he blessed them, we're told, in the day that he created them. Now, Adam lived a long time, 930 years. It's a long time, right? Almost a millennium. Now, Based upon the Bible's account of origin and the timeline, we often say, you know, before Christ, or now it's before common era, as they say in uh, where they don't want to acknowledge God's handiwork over the universe. But A.D. is undominio, year of the Lord. We used to think it's after death, but it's not. It's, it means year of the Lord. So in the year of our Lord, that's the timeline before Christ and undominio, year of the Lord. And But when we think about the pre-flood world, we almost want to kind of change our thinking how we measure time. Because it's time, space, and matter. I've been saying this, your day planner can take you all the way back to Adam's day planner in his origin. Now, of course, he wasn't, he was created as a man, and she was created as a woman. So both Adam and Eve did not have a childhood at all. They're mature, full adults in that when they were brought together. But their offspring, of course, 
a single cell was Cain in the womb, Abel in the womb, their children, their women, all, everyone comes from them, and they were told to be fruitful and multiply, and they were fruitful and multiplied, and that's what we're reading about in these parts of Genesis chapter 4 and chapter 5, and even in chapter 6 and so on. So they came together, they had children, now they fell from a perfect world, the garden was perfect, it was absolute perfection, it was perfection, and it's a long fall from perfection to what we're looking at now. And we know from the description of the word of God that it was this planet, but that mist went over. God gave times and seasons. We're told that in Genesis chapter 1, but not the same as we understand them in the post-flood world that's declared to us when Noah came off the ark, which would have preceded going right into the ice age, which lasted hundreds of years, or yeah, hundreds of years. So we have this kind of perfect environment, just a perfect type of environment that they're living in, and their bodies were perfect. The cellular structure, everything was perfect. And the degeneration of entropy came into the universe through them. But how we understand entropy in our bodies, in our lives, is very different than how they were then. The race, the human race as a species was very perfect in that sense and degenerating slowly. So we're the opposite of the world. The world thinks we're evolving and getting better that order's coming from disorder, but the reality is we came from perfection and we've fallen from perfection and we're getting farther from that through the law of entropy and degeneration of the cellular structure, of the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, everything. So there's far less species on the planets. Uh, We're not, I generally, we would say we're not as tall as we used to be and they were perfect. And they lived a long time because their bodies allowed them to live a long time. And they lived in a world that was very different than the one we live in with a perfect climate. And everything was set up. It was set up to be an herbivore world, uh, a vegan world where everyone's happy. And it just, it was was incredible. We don't think enough about the pre-fall world and the pre-flood world. It was incredible. And I've been saying, these were superhumans. They were amazing examples of the species of humanity creating God's image. We are far more degenerated physically and I would say even cognitively than they were. And Adam lived 930 years. That's a long time to live. It's almost a millennial. Now, we're going to go into these genealogies in just a moment. Everyone that you're going to read about that are his descendants, he lived when they lived until Noah. So when you get to Noah... He's after 930 from the dawn of creation, okay? So every one of these other children and descendants, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great, they're all on the planet at the same time from Adam. And of course, again, all men, all women came from Adam and Eve, and it just spread out like a flow chart, okay? So that's how that played out. And either came through Cain's descendants and the world they built that was judging the flood, or they came through Seth's descendants, they came this way, which is the contrast of what we saw last week with what we're seeing tonight. But I do want to draw your attention before we move on to the word where it says, and he died in verse 5. You know, God warned them the day you eat from this tree, you'll, you'll die. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And they died. Now, they saw the animal executed for their covering in the garden, so they, look, they saw what death looked like right there in the very first sin. We know that contextually. Then they would have seen what death looked like as they multiplied and saw 
Cain kill Abel and the heartache of having your son that has a heart for the Lord to see him killed by the son who doesn't. So they understood the pain of death, but they died. It took almost a millennium to die. But eventually the aging process of death happened on Adam. Now, they died spiritually when he sinned and they're expelled and kicked out of the garden. They were separated from God in the garden. Their descendants were born spiritually dead, separated from God. And they had physical death and they were under eternal death. For we know that the wages of sin is death and it's threefold. It's spiritual, it's physical, and it's eternal. It's three-dimensional in that sense. And Adam was probably really still young-looking in the 300th or 400th or 500th year, but eventually he looked old. And, you know, when I visit my dad in assisted living, and if you go to assisted living homes, you'll see this. Usually outside someone's room, there's pictures of when they were younger. You usually put together like a collage of when they were younger. So like, for example, at my dad's place, as you walk down the hall to the left, there's, you know, you'll see someone like they're in the Navy in the 40s or the 50s, and you see their family, and then they have pictures of when they're older with their grandkids or great-grandkids and stuff like that. And often they'll have a picture like their high school graduation picture from the 40s, right, or the even the 30s, but more like the 40s now. And then maybe a recent picture, and you see the aging process, and walking by to see my dad on Monday down the hall, there's a woman there, her name is Betty, and she's a good friend of my dad's, and they kind of hang out together, and you know, you, you have friendships. You go to an assisted living place, and that's where you live till you end your journey, and you build friendships, and then people pass in the night, and it, it just, it's, it's the reality of the human experience. Thank you, Adam, because again, and I, I say that, like it's the reality that aging process. I'm aging. We're all aging in this room. And even if you're young, it seems like you're maturing. You still have the DNA in you to the death sentence where you're aging. So you're still breaking down. Even as you're growing, you're, you're going you're gonna, to, that process is there. But I walked by that, the room and I saw a picture because I've talked to this woman and there's a picture of her in her 80s now that's on the wall. And she's pretty sharp with, you know, when you talk to her. And then I saw a picture, I've never noticed it, but when she's younger, like the 40s. And that's Adam and that's Eve. For in Adam all sin and all die. And you can look like this, but you'll look like that. We say they aged well. But that aging process affirms that we're all under a death sentence through Adam. For Adam died in verse 5. And you might live 930 years if you're Adam. You might live 110 if you're Joseph, you know, the patriarch. You might live 120 if you're Moses. You might live, uh, well, they began to really drop off in the, from the Ice Age time in the post-flood world and really shortened up. And we're just, Billy Graham lived 99 years. And he looked nothing at 99 like he looked at 39, Right? This is it. Because God is not mocked. And we're told, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And in the end, his word never returns void. And whether you're on the side of the blessings of the promises or on the side of the curses of the promises, his word doesn't return void. There's no yes and no or shadow of turning with God. And if he says you eat from this tree, you'll die. You'll die. That's, it's that simple. He never has a shadow of turning because he's the father of lights. And that's the reality. It'd be so easy to read right past verse 5 and go, wait a second. 
This is everything in our universe, and this is the result of what happened in Genesis 3. Eventually, he died. He died. Now, we are told theologically, and this is important, because in Adam all sin and die, and I, I just think it's really important we don't miss this, because this is our origin, and this is our necessity of a Savior, and that's why this is so critical. And this is why the Darwinistic, humanistic, evolutionary worldviews are so opposed to creation in a young earth with all their pseudoscience. Because again, if we don't all come from Adam, then the necessity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, coming into the world is negated. Because the Bible makes very clear he came into the world because we're all dying because of Adam. Not because we're evolving and getting better, but because the head of our race is a man and a woman created in God's image 6,000 years ago, and they purposely, he purposely rebelled against God. She was deceived, and they brought sin and death on the universe. And Adam dies here in chapter 5, verse 5. And we're told in the New Testament by the Holy Spirit that, therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin... And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 5.12. And this is why God sent his son, because God so loved the world that he gave his son. We are born condemned in sin, not because some half-man it's just so, it's so ludicrous. There is no evolution in this universe. It never happened, and it's a lie. We were created in God's image, and it was good, and it was very good. And the head of our race, the man, willfully rebelled against God and sinned. And he and his wife, who was deceived, were cast out of the garden, promised that a redeemer would come and given a type of that redeemer with the animal shed in the garden in chapter 3 verse 24 and they passed on that understanding to their children clearly defined by Abel when he brought the blood and the offering in chapter 4 and then they died it came their time to die and they had to stare down death but in Adam we all die. You don't die because inanimate matter became life in a big bang. You die because on the sixth day God made everything, and man and women, men and women, man and woman were the last elements of creative element of the sixth day, and it was very good. But they rebelled against God. And this is why the gospel message is applied to the human race. Because in Adam, all sin and all die. For death spread to all men through Adam. And this is why there's such an attack on the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters. Because again, if these pseudoscience Demented professors can brainwash our children and brainwash us into thinking that God's twisted and made us evolve from monkeys and that we evolved but we weren't created. 
then we don't need a savior. And this is the spiritual battle of human history, our origins. So I read it again before we move on. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin, thus death spread to all men because all sin. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. This is why the battle for every jot and tittle in Genesis is so crucial. If you even Google, where's the Garden of Eden, the first thing you'll see is Wikipedia saying it's a mythological place, considered mythological by most people. Do not consider the Garden of Eden mythological. These are not types. These are not allegories. These are the head of our race who passed on the sin consequence to us and the death consequence to us, as demonstrated in verse 5. As Adam died, we're going to die. But it makes the glorious gospel that much more glorious because in Christ, the second Adam, we're all made alive. That is the good news. Do not be deceived. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Now we read on. Verse 6. Seth lived 105 years and begot Enosh. After he begot Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and begot Canaan. After he begot Canaan, Enosh lived 815 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Canaan lived 70 years and begot Mahalil. After he begot Mahalil, Canaan lived 840 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Canaan were 910 years and he died. Mahalil lived 65 years and begot Jared. After he begot Jared, Mahalil lived 830 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalil were 895 years and he died. Jared lived 162 years and begot Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. So Enoch's our famous person, but every one of these people is very imp important. Seth is the replacement son of promise. Now, I want to read to you from Luke chapter 3. I've been referencing the genealogy of Jesus in Luke chapter 3, but I want to read it to you. I've been referencing it in the last couple of weeks. There in the genealogy of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke chapter 3, Dr. Luke, led by the Holy Spirit, starts the genealogy of Jesus through the Virgin Mary. And he says in verse 23, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being, as was supposed, the son of Joseph. So Mary's under the covering of Joseph here, and this is the genealogy through Mary, the son of Heli. So that's how we know it's Mary, because it's different than the genealogy. And it's different all the way through than the account in 
Matthew chapter 1, which is a genealogy that serves a different purpose. But as the Holy Spirit takes us back from Jesus, the second Adam, which we just read about in Romans chapter 5, and goes through the Old Testament history, it mentions Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz. It keeps going back, and then it gets to Jacob and Isaac and Abraham in verse 34. And then now it goes into the um, Ice Age timeline of Terah, Nahor, Sirug, Ru, Peleg, Eber, Shelah, Canaan, Aphrax, Shem, the son of Noah. So that part of the cluster of the genealogy of Jesus Christ is the post-flood world, the Ice Age, into our type of climatology that we have right now. Then from Shem, we have Noah, the son of Lamech, Methuselah of Enoch, of Jared, of Mahalil, of Canaan, of Enosh, of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. That's why these men are so important to us in Genesis chapter 5. The Jewish nation was entrusted with preserving the genealogies of humanity to leave no doubt that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah fulfilling all the prophecies and requirements of the genealogy through Noah, the son Shem, one of three sons, all the Jews come through him, through Abraham, the patriarchs, ultimately the tribe of Judah. Because you go back to Genesis 3.15, it says the seed of, of Eve would bruise the head of Satan, and that's that defeat. So all through those different covenants and timeline of about 4,000 years, and there's incremental increased revelation, but always animal sacrifice, always substitution. Vegetables would never work, and neither would reptiles. The clean animals, blood, somebody's got to die, the substitution. And so when we come back to Genesis chapter 5, we understand how important these people are. These are, we are all descendants of these people because these people lived in that pre-flood world, in that different climate. And through this genealogy came Noah and Shem who went on the ark. And through them came the entire human race through Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We are all descendants of Shem, Ham, or Japheth through Noah. Every single one of us. Every tongue, tribe, and nation on this planet, whatever dialect we speak, the Aka Indians are from those three. All Asian people, Latin people, Euro people, Southeast Asian, South American, I mean, just uh, South Pacific. We all come from the three sons of Noah through these people. But more importantly, the Messiah Jesus Christ is preserved for us through this line who, as the second Adam, would redeem the entire human race of provide that atonement for the sons of Adam for the plan of redemption. Now, we look at these men. I pointed this out. That Adam lived 930 years, and he shared the planet with Seth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahalalel, Jared, and Enoch. So when Enoch was caught up to be at the Lord, it was 987 from the dawn of creation. Excuse me, that's, so that's after Adam. 
987. So if you look here, I got the chart, the years after creation. Adam is on the planet with all these people, except Noah. Noah's after Adam's timeline. But it is interesting that Adam steps into eternity 930 years from the dawn of creation. These guys are all marching along that we just read about. But here, Enoch, you realize the gap, right? So see, he's right here, and he's out at 987. And then Methuselah, well, actually, Lamech died just a few years before the flood. The flood year was 1656 from the dawn of creation. So 1656 is the flood year from the dawn of creation. 1656 years, okay? And what's interesting is Lamech died 1651. So Lamech died at the peak of evil on the planet right before the flood. What's even more interesting, and you can Google this stuff online, and there's a lot of fascinating reading about Methuselah, who is the oldest person in the Bible. He died the year of the flood. And so people say, well, did he die in the flood? Or did he die before the flood? And you Google it online, there's all kinds of interesting speculations about this man. Did he help Noah build the ark? His name actually means uh, death. <laughs> Methuselah is uh, like determination. It means the death. So it's like, even in his name, that it's symbolic that that's the death of that entire existence of that pre-flood world. So they shared the planet, but Adam shared it with everyone except Noah on this genealogy, and Enoch was out 57 years after Adam stepped into eternity. He stepped into eternity. These are important people. Now, we are told that Seth is a replacement seed. We saw that last week. And we're told that Enosh, when he was born, back in chapter 4, that men began to call on the name of the Lord. So Enosh was very important in this Cain world, this world of Cain that was being built up with rebellion to God, that this, you know, so, okay, so 130 years after Adam was alive, he had Seth. And then we saw that Seth lived 105 years before he had Enosh. So that's like, you know, you're 230, 240 into the sequence. So 240 years of human existence from the dawn of creation in the pre-flood world, he's born and men begin to call on the Lord. It's just so different to imagine this world because everyone lives so much longer. Now, I'm sure people died young through violence and through accidents, but their bodies weren't breaking down like ours. And of course, we know in the last 60 years, let's just cut to the quick. I mean, the increase of cancers and all these different things, you know, from autism and all this stuff, and it's a massive increase. And I don't doubt that has a lot to do with poor diets and the nutrients that we're missing from the foods we eat, all the processed foods. And I'm not afraid to say that, okay? They were herbivores, and the trees were good. They were, in fact, they were supposed to look at the trees and desire the trees, isn't that amazing? The original tree huggers because of the food. They were, we were designed to look at plants and desire the beauty of the plants for the food they produce before the fall. So if you go into Mother's Market and see all that organic food and it looks really good to you, good for you. Daughter of Eve, son of Adam, good for you because that's in your DNA. But we know the massive increase. You can, there's all kinds of documentaries just what we've done to our, the water we drink, 
you know, all the poisoning, our environment, the air we breathe. God's going to do a new heaven and a new earth, and he can fix all this, but they live in a different world, and their bodies were stronger. Their immune systems were stronger, and the breakdown of the death sentence was much slower than ours. And it just is what it is. So Enoch lived, and when he came into the world, men began to call on the Lord. So that would have been a revival in the pre-flood world. There was a revival. This man was born, and as he began to live his life, men, women, began to call on the Lord. Something was revived. It's like the first Jesus movement, if you will. Something happened in that pre-flood world that this person's life, men begin to call on the Lord. Recently listening to Pastor Chuck teach the Psalms, he tells the story of when his sister died and became lifeless, and his mom ran down the street to the Pentecostal church and cried out. The doctor said, there's nothing we can do, and she cried out for his life. Then his dad came home and ran down there. He was going to beat up the preacher, and he was going to accost the preacher, and and he came in there and saw that his daughter was dead, and he fell on his face and sobbed and began weeping, and they cried out for the life of their daughter, just Chuck's older sister, and God granted the life. And they made a covenant with the Lord that when they had their son, who was Pastor Chuck Smith when he was born, that he was dedicated to the Lord his entire life, and he was Corbin. He belonged to the Lord. And if you ever saw a revival through one person's life, did you ever see a revival like Pastor Chuck Smith when he was on this planet? All the things God taught him, all the lessons he went through as a four-square preacher and the different organizational structures of denominations and all these things to just be broken down in about the age of early 50s, late 40s, early 50s, and just to be free to see what God did with his Holy Spirit poured out on an entire generation that so much of the good of the body of Christ on this planet is directly linked to the Jesus movement of that time, including the existence of us here tonight. Men began to call on the Lord. We want to believe God for great things in our timeline that men and women would call on the Lord. We want to, we want to look at a child. We want to look at a grandchild, a great-grandchild, and we want to see that men and women could call on the Lord. We want to see that God can do incredible things through that person's life. When we dedicate children, we see the eyes of faith that that God would give them a double portion and, and impact the world for the glorious gospel. God pours out his spirit at different times for different reasons. Charles Finney, pre-Civil War and during the Civil War, incredible what he did. D.L. Moody, what he did. Billy Sunday. Various women that God has used in amazing ways. But when this person came on the planet about 250 years into its existence, God brought a revival through his life. And it's worth noting because you don't think that much about the life of this guy and what the Holy Spirit says about him. But men began to call on the Lord in a superhuman world. There was something about this person's life and we would think that and hope that for our lives when we look in the mirror, Lord, would men and women call upon you through my faithfulness to you? in my obedience to you. If they choose not to, and if God chooses not to do something like that, that's fine, but we want to be open to that. But eventually Enos died. Jared came along, and then Enoch. So Enoch, 
We're told with Enoch in verse 18 that he walked with God and he was not for God took him. So in this genealogy, Enoch is somebody very special because like Elijah in the trade of fire, he transcended dimensions without dying. He transcended dimensions without dying. That's something to think about for a minute. Elijah, of course, the chariot came for him out of eternity, out of the different dimension, the chariot of fire, not like a car on fire. Okay, so like the other day I was taking Lee and the kids to the beach at Orange Street on a Sunday. You got to drop them off, right? Because there's no parking. And there was a car on fire. That's a fire in time, space, and matter that consumes and leaves something in ashes. But God's fire is a holy fire, and it's the burning bush that does not consume. So Elijah's chariot is a chariot of fire coming out of a different dimension. And remember this, it's like Meshach, Shagrach, and Abednego in their fire. When time, space, and matter is it's subject to the other dimension of eternity. So whenever God does something of that nature of eternity, a miracle or brings that dimension in, it supersedes it. Eternity rules over time, space, and matter. So when Elijah's chariot came down, it just, the, the, the door opens of another dimension, like a portal, if you will, and that has supremacy in this dimension. Always has, always will. When the angels show up, Gabriel to Mary, so on and so forth, always has supremacy. The burning bush, it, that's not a burning bush I'm on Sinai, that's God speaking from the holy bush from another dimension in this dimension. Or how about one like the Son of Man in the fire with Mesai Chakra and Abednego? That dimension has supremacy over this one. And Elijah was caught up in the chariot. And remember, we have still have time, space, and matter because his jacket falls to Elisha. This is important. It's like Stephen. He sees Jesus standing, and he's getting hit by the rocks, but he sees Jesus. The two dimensions are there at the same time. It's amazing. Enoch walked with God, and was not, for the Lord took him. And I, I sometimes think, okay, well, being a baby boomer, I think, kind of think like Star Trek, you know, like when they do this or whatever, is it kind of like that? Or is it more modern, like, you know, Thor coming through a portal? Like, what's, what's it like, you know? Like, is it the millennials' movies or the baby boomers' TV shows? Like, how does that work? It doesn't have to be either, right? But we have ideas in our mind what that would be like. Let me read to you what we read about Enoch. Enoch is mentioned a couple times in the New Testament. And in Hebrews, we see that he is mentioned after Abel, right? So we saw Abel in verse 4 of Hebrews 11, and now in verse 5 we read this. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death. Okay, now we, we just read in Romans 5 that in Adam all die. And death entered through Adam. Can, he lived. He defied the human experience that he did not die. The Holy Spirit affirms that to us. If there's any ambiguity about Genesis 5 in the context, he walked with God and was not, it's all cleared up for us with the Holy Spirit right here. He was taken away so he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's obtainable, don't you think? 
That's obtainable. I mean, most of us are probably going to see death unless, of course, the Lord comes for us with what's known as the rapture. And, of course, it goes without saying that it's long held that this passage is a type of the rapture of Jesus coming for his church. Because we're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it's implied in 1 Corinthians as well, that the, the dead in Christ will rise and we who are alive will be caught up together with him in the air. The Bible clearly talks of the last generation not tasting death, but being translated into eternity, just like Enoch, into glorified bodies to be with the Lord, and then coming with the Lord when he comes to establish his kingdom. So it's safe to say that Enoch is a type of the rapture. But even apart from that, that's not my main point. I just want to point out that he pleased God, that he pleased God. His overall decisions please God. Like if you were, you know, God's not our employer, he's our father, but like if you work for someone and you show up on time and you have a good attitude and you do your job and yet you're your employee of the month, like you pleased, you please the boss. You please God. He pleased God. His disposition of his life, his lifestyle, it pleased God. It's honorable. And again, much like Enosh, where people called upon the Lord, with Enoch, we can say, man, it's attaining, you know, it's a pleasing God is obtainable. Making the right choices is obtainable. I think there's a great application there. Because by faith, he was caught up. And he was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That's a great testimony for your memorial service. But it's even a better testimony on that side of the next dimension. We are also told in the book of Jude concerning Enosh. Now, this is Enoch. This is an interesting passage, and I'll tell you why. In Jude, the book of Jude, verse 14 says this. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, evil men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. W.G., body of Christ, Enoch was a prophet. Enoch was a prophet. And this was his message. Now, the Jews have the book called the Book of Enoch. It's not an inspired book. It's not in the Bible. It's not an inspired book. But there's truth in the book. So what is in the book, this statement, is affirmed by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament for us from an ancient Hebrew book that what he spoke, this is what he spoke, and it was inspired. So in other words, Enoch who walked with God and pleased God and was not, he also had a message as a prophet for his generation, which is obviously longer than our generations. And I'll read it one more time. He prophesied, saying this, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, which, of course, is what happened with the flood. To convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they've committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. That gets our attention. People were blaspheming against the Lord in those last couple centuries before the flood. Of all the ungodly things they spoke against him. Again, Enoch 
stepped into eternity in 987 from the dawn of creation. The flood was uh, 1656. That's a long time. And isn't God merciful? And what does Peter say in 2 Peter? That the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but long-suffering. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away, the great noise, and the, the firmaments will melt away. We know that's going to happen. Early on, in Second Peter chapter 3, the people say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth sent out of the water, and the water by which the world de- then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment, perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why has the Lord not come back yet? Because he's long-suffering and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I mean, Pastor Chuck was so sure the Lord was going to come back in his lifetime. George Mueller was so sure the Lord was going to come back in his lifetime. Amy Carmichael was so sure the Lord was going to come back in her lifetime. And we should be so sure the Lord's going to come back in our lifetime. But if he tarries, he tarries. But he tarries because he's merciful and he's gracious and he's loving and compassionate. And he remembers our frame that we are but dust. That's why he's delayed. And people can mock And ungodly men can mock all they want, as they did in the time of Enosh. And these men who lived hundreds of years mocked. They mocked the Lord. We just read it in Jude. They mocked the Lord for hundreds of years. But Enoch walked with God, and he was not. And he was taken out. And he's a type of what's going to happen with the church. And when God's done with the church, and he's done with this planet, as we understand it, in what we'd call this dispensation They had 1,656 years from the dawn of creation. And then the flood came. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man before he comes. So we've got Enoch. We've got him walking with God. We've got him prophesying. We've got 2 Peter telling us what to expect, all going back to Noah. And we've got Jesus taking us back to Noah as well. What manner of men and women might we ought to be, but living with anticipation and expectation for the kingdom to come. But Enoch not only was a bold preacher, but the testimony of his life was he walked with God and was not for the Lord took him because he pleased the Lord. Now we finish off tonight. Verse 25, Methuselah lived 187 years and begot Lamech. And after he begot Lamech, Methuselah lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and had a son, and he called his name Noah. Wow, Lamech's the dad of Noah. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toll of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. After he begot Noah, Lamech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I'm not sure what to think in closing concerning Lamech's statement about his son, that this one will comfort us concerning the work and the toil of our hands. That sounds like a frustrated employee, Uh, but maybe he's frustrated with society. 
the lack of godliness, the lack of fear of God? We don't know. But we are told in his name, this one will comfort us. And we're going to see in the next chapter that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he was chosen by the Lord to preserve the human race when all seemed lost. And we're here today because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so have we. So we'll get to Noah next week, and we move on. But this is the primeval world. This is the 1,656 years of the dawn of creation in human history. And really, even though they're superhuman, and maybe they just had ancient worlds we don't even know about, they were human beings, just like you and I. They lived longer. They looked younger, longer, without any uh, help. But they were sinners, and they needed grace. And the message of Enoch, the life of Enoch, the life of, of uh, Enish, all of them, everything was pointing to Jesus Christ. So I close with this thought. Everything before Christ came and died on the cross and rose from the grave is a shadow of things to come. So all that's beautiful in this pre-flood world was a shadow of of all that we enjoy this day through our faith and our relationship with the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that, we rejoice.